Hello, my name is Nick Bright, scholar of East Asian religions. And I'm Proven Paradox, a guy with a lot of questions. And you're listening to Bright on Buddhism, a podcast where we discuss East Asian Buddhism, answering listener-submitted questions from listeners just like you, and introducing concepts of Buddhism that you may or may not be familiar with in a casual, conversational setting. Enjoy. Here, do we live in a world of our own imagination? Yes and no. All of our ideas and opinions about the nature of things, the relationships between things, and the meanings of things are all imaginary. However, things themselves are not imaginary. There really is a mountain on the horizon over there, and a stream over here, and a house over that way. If we were to divorce our minds from the concept of a mountain, what would we experience if we looked at the mountain with eyes unclouded by discriminatory and categorical knowledge? I suppose we would experience it as it is, without our previous ideas or conceptions about it getting in our way of the cognition of it. But is it not the nature of the mind to come up with categories and discriminations for things? Though that is a survival mechanism for animals and humans, I do not think it is helpful for understanding the true nature of the world, but only for understanding our human perception of the world. I also don't think it is an insurmountable force. Through training and mindfulness, I believe we can overcome that nature. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Bright on Buddhism. This week, we will be doing an introductory discussion of the Yogacara School of Buddhism, leading up to our very first guest appearance with my colleague, Turner Reeves, who is a specialist on Chinese Yogacara Buddhism. This school is known as the Fa Shang in Chinese, or the Hoso in Japanese. What is Yogacara? How does it differ from other schools in East Asia? And what role does it play in the Mahayana canon? We hope you enjoy. Before we get started, just a programming note. This is being recorded after the conversation with Mr. Reeves, so if I seem less inquisitive than you would normally expect from me, it's because we go into deep detail on things in the episode that you should hear next week. So with that out of the way, what is Yogacara slash Fashong slash Hoso? Yogacara is one of the early schools of Indian Mahayana Buddhism from about the 4th century AD. For reference, In this time period, other schools that existed were the Majamaka and the Sarvastivada schools of Buddhism, with whom Yogacara scholars were frequently in dialogue. The name Yogacara contains two parts, namely yoga and chara. Yoga is a word that we may feel we are familiar with, but merits a little bit more explanation. In our modern understanding, yoga is breathing exercises and poses and mindful movement. This is only one particular interpretation of the concept of yoga. Yoga is a Sanskrit word that is related to the English word yoke. The application of this idea of yoking is to yoke the mind, the thoughts, the body, etc. The idea behind this is that through the practice of attaching or yoking your awareness to your mind and body, you are able to come to a greater understanding of yourself and of the world. This can be done through breathing exercises and body poses, but also through seated meditation and studies of the sutras and so on. The word chara means practitioner, so the name of the school translates to practitioners of yoga, or doers of yoga. This school draws heavily on the Samdhi Nirmochana Sutra, which originates in the 1st or 2nd century, and brings up previously unheard of theories of the nature of the mind, which we will discuss in a moment. The important early figures of this school of Buddhism were the brothers Asanga and Vasubandhu, who lived in Gandhara in northeastern India in the 4th and 5th centuries. These two are very important figures in the history of Mahayana Buddhism, but not much is really known about them. They are said to have been worshippers of Maitreya, the Buddha of the future, from whom the legends claim they learned the Yogacara doctrine, 
This school is highly influential on Mahayana Buddhism and is still practiced today in China as Fashan and in Japan as Hoso. How does it differ from other schools in East Asia? As I mentioned before, the Samdi Nirmochana Sutra brings up previously unheard of theories of the mind, cognition, and karmic history. This sutra brings up the idea of the Alaya Vijnana, which is known as the storehouse consciousness. Essentially, this is the component of ourselves that stores the karmic traces of our thoughts, actions, beliefs, experiences, words, etc. All of our karmic backstory over all of our infinite past lives, be they good or bad, is stored in this Alaya Vijnana. This is but one of many interpretations of how karma works. The idea is that our thoughts, words, beliefs, experiences, etc. plant a seed, a fleeting impermanent seed, mind you, known as a bija, into this storehouse. A bija can be karmically good, karmically bad, karmically neutral, or entirely non-karmic. If there is more good than bad, your daily life and your rebirth are better. If there is more bad than good, your life and your rebirth are all bad. If neutral, nothing really changes. If it is all non-karmic, congratulations, you're a Buddha. You can see that this is a system addressed at answering the question of why do bad things randomly happen? There is the question of what is the meaning and reason behind random things happening. Their explanation is that the bijas perfume the daily life experience, and that by changing one's habits to only fill the alaya with wholesome or good bijas, you can change your daily life experience and your rebirths for the better. Additionally, the Yogacara school also argues that every dharma, small d dharma, or every individual thing in reality is a fruit of a bija. Indeed, it's in a very important Chinese Yogacara text known as the Cheng Weishi Lun, or the Vijnapti Matratra Siddhi. It is argued that dharmas and bijas have a one-to-one determinant relationship. Bijas induce a dharma that can be recognized and cognized in the world. That means that whatever is in front of you right now is the fruit of a bija that you have planted in your storehouse consciousness in the past. Similarly, experiencing a dharma plants a bija in your storehouse consciousness. Therefore, they argue that most, if not all, dharmas stem from the storehouse consciousness. This theory is called consciousness only, or vijnapti matrata. Some scholars have interpreted this to mean that Yogacara argues in favor of solipsism, or some sort of philosophical idealism, which is that the idea that nothing in the world but me or my mind exists and everything I am experiencing is imaginary. However, I would argue, and Turner will argue next week, that this does not really apply here because in the Yogacara, the self does not exist due to the doctrine of non-self. Similarly, dharmas, which are the fruits of activated bijas, exist provisionally. They don't exist in any real, true, substantial fashion because they can be experienced by others even if they are subject to impermanence. Therefore, the truth is a lot more complicated than simple solipsism. Going back to the idea of the Alaya Vijnana, uh, this kind of answers a question that's been on the back of my mind and that has been hard to figure an answer for, which is what experiences reincarnation? So this Alaya Vijnana is a potential answer for that question? It's close. It's very close. This Alaya Vijnana adds a very complicated and new dimension to the theory of the five aggregates that we're familiar with. And we'll talk a little bit about that with Turner next week. But I think that um, the short answer is that the Alaya doesn't really do any experiencing on its own. It's connected to awareness of self and awareness of awareness of self, known as uh, Manas and Mano Vijnana, respectively. 
And Manas and Manovijnana, they like to replicate an illusion that they have continuity of experience because that's the replication of self. That's samsara at work. They're very samsaric activities. They're very samsaric properties of ourselves. Um, but the alaya itself, without any karmic traces or bijas included, is actually karmically neutral. By itself, just the existence of the thing is karmically neutral. But what the manas and the manovijnana put into it determines our karmic backstory and determines our rebirths. And so in the terms of you know what actually starts in this life and continues on to the next life, it's a combination of the alaya vijnana, both that and the manovijnana and the manas, but they're also re-aggregating according to real-time karmic changes in your backstory, in your history, your life history. And so experiencing rebirth and undergoing rebirth and undergoing re-aggregation, if you might use that word to describe it, are both pretty complicated concepts when it comes to the Yogacara. And they're, they're actually more complicated than you might realize with other Mahayana schools that seem simpler on the surface. But this is a very complicated theory about how karma works because the Yogacara Buddhists were, they were aimed at finding exactly what, what about a person makes their karma such that they have a unique life experience compared to every other sentient being on earth, right? They noticed that there were some people who they just had it so bad that it really did not make sense. And there were some people that had it so good that it really did not make sense. And there's no way to explain why this person has it so bad or that person has it so good other than trying to find something in the person themselves that explains their karmic retribution, their karmic story. And this does not neglect the fact that, as we've said before, karma is a universal property of reality, but it does try and make it such that sentient beings have some sort of relationship with it and some sort of attachment to it or connection to it that is individual in some way. This doesn't imply the existence of a self. And though many will argue in the fourth and fifth centuries that the Alaya Vijnana violates the doctrine of non-self, the Yogacara people argue that it actually doesn't because the Alaya itself is impermanent. If you fill it with only good, or if you fill it with non-karmic and you turn it upside down and dump everything out of it, then it goes away. Whenever a person becomes a fully realized Buddha and they have gone through peri-nirvana or final nirvana, they don't have an alaya anymore. They've thrown away the jar and everything in it. And so in that regard, there is nothing that's permanent and unchanging about an alaya, which is complicated, but that's their way of avoiding this, this idea that others will throw at them saying, you're arguing in favor of a self. You can't do that. This is Buddhism here. We don't have that. So luckily they avoid that. And they do so by saying that it goes away eventually. Gotcha. All right. So what role do other teachings of Buddhism play in Yogacara? The Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, Dukkha, etc., they all still play a very important role in the Yogacara understanding of how to attain enlightenment. Those things haven't gone away here. However, there are some Mahayana teachings that are denounced. For example... The Yogacara denounces the Lotus Sutra, which we've read before, as apocryphal, or not part of the true Buddhist canon. They will argue that the Buddha never gave that sermon on Vulture Peak. Furthermore, as an example, they differ strongly with the Majamaka school of Buddhism, 
We'll do an episode about this school later, but Majamaka is where we get a lot of our early Mahayana interpretations of the concept of emptiness, the middle way, and dependent origination. Some of their main points of contention were the question of if emptiness really exists as a thing on its own, or if it's the nature of things, and therefore not subject to itself. The Yogacara argues that emptiness is not a thing in itself, but the nature of things. Natures of things can be permanent, can be unchanging, because they're not things in themselves, they're just the nature of stuff. The Majamaka differs strongly and argues that emptiness, the absence of a thing, is a thing itself, and therefore emptiness itself is subject to emptiness and impermanence. This is getting very complicated and confusing, but the idea is that if impermanence is impermanent, then there must be some time in infinite time where something is permanent and substantial and unchanging. And that's how they're trying to engage these ideas with each other and with themselves to try and understand the nature of relative continuity in a world that's always changing and trying to understand what would happen if you had the entirety of all eternal time from infinitely immeasurable past beginnings to infinitely immeasurable future endings laid out in front of you, what, what would you see? That's what they're trying to address here. And what you'll find is that most of Mahayana Buddhism will fall on the side of the Yogacara, arguing that emptiness being a substantial nature of the universe rather than a thing itself will take over the doctrine and will determine how they interpret and deal with emptiness in different contexts. And the Madhyamaka interpretation that emptiness is a thing, is a dharma, a small d dharma, that interpretation will kind of have its own life in other schools, but not really be popular, all that popular in East Asia throughout history. Join us next week for our very first guest appearance. We will be having Turner Reeves, my colleague and a specialist of Chinese Yogacara Buddhism, to discuss this school in a lot more detail. We hope to see you there. Thank you for listening. My name is Nick Bright, scholar of East Asian religions and the voice of Hearer. And I'm Docs, editor, question asker, and voice of Hermit. And this has been Bright on Buddhism. Thank you for listening. If you like our podcast, or if you have a question you'd like us to discuss, we'd love to hear from you. Please consider leaving a comment or review, subscribing, or joining us on social media. Email us at bright.on.buddhism at gmail.com. Tweet us at brightbuddhism. And join us on our Discord server, The Hidden Sangha, link in description. As always, citations and resources for this episode can be found in the show notes. Thank you. See you next time. Thank you very much.